a wee bit difficult um, when you get an open subject to work out just exactly what um, what to speak on. Uh, but I've been thinking about these verses recently, and uh, I thought it would be it would be good to share them share them with you. So there's a couple of verses in in First Timothy chapter one uh, that I want to to read and focus on tonight. So 1 Timothy 1, and uh, we'll start to read at, uh, let's, let's start at verse 8 first of all. Now Paul is, has been speaking about false teachers who have appropriated the Old Testament law and were seeking to bring it into Christianity. And uh, Paul is saying here that they uh, misunderstand and misuse the law when they bring it in and add it to the gospel. And he says in verse eight, we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murders of fathers, murders of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for liars, uh, sorry, for men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Now, in other words, he's saying that the law was given not to uh, enable righteousness, but to expose sinfulness. Verse 12, uh, then he says, I thank Christ Jesus, my Lord, who has enabled me now remember that Paul was a man who was seeking and failing to do the law and uh, he was, was striving after a righteousness that he thought he could obtain. And when the light shone upon him on the Damascus road, he realized that he couldn't. However, through the gospel, God saved him. And then he says in verse 12, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Now, these are the verses that I want to focus on, especially tonight. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief, or foremost. Howbeit, for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. I'm going to read verse 16 again. I want you to pay particular attention to verse 16. Paul says, For this cause I obtained mercy that in me for first, Jesus Christ might demonstrate all patience or all endurance, all long-suffering for a pattern or an example to them who should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I commit to thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies that went before on thee, 
that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. If you go across to the end of the letter, let's just notice how uh, Paul ends the letter to Timothy. Uh, his closing words to him, or some of his closing words to him in verse 11. He's been talking about the, the love of money, uh, which many chase after. Uh, it ensnares them. But verse 11, he says, But thou, Timothy, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession amongst many witnesses. Amen. And we look to God for help tonight. I want to think especially tonight about the subject of Christian endurance. And I want to think about it in the context of First Timothy, because this is a letter that was written by Paul to a young man who was facing difficulty and discouragement. And in a way, that's, that's no surprise in the Christian life, because the Lord himself warned us that the way is hard that leads to life. And the, the pathway of the Christian, uh, almost without exception, is one of difficulty and of hardship. That's the default. Uh, Peter would say in his letter, don't think it a strange thing that a fiery trial has come upon you. It is in many ways to be expected in the Christian life. It's to be expected in life generally because we live in a fallen world which has been ravaged by sin and we, we come up against the evidence of that day by day. And many of the difficulties that we experience in life, perhaps they're not particular to being a Christian. They're just general to a world which is suffering the effects of sin and the consequences of sin. But as a Christian, there are added difficulties and the Lord would say uh, to those who would follow, them, follow him that the price is high, that you're to take up your cross and follow me. And those were, were, were stark and striking words which made clear that there's a cost associated with following Christ. There's greater difficulty. There's opposition. There's attack that will be faced. And that's exactly uh, the position that Timothy was in as he was seeking in Ephesus to be a leader within that newly established church. As he was seeking to stand against false teachers and to strengthen those who were in need of encouragement. Here was a man who I'm sure felt alone and felt uh, the difficulties of serving God and Christ. Hebrews 10 uh, tells us, uh, the writer tells uh, the, the, the recipients, you have need of endurance that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. And in many ways, you could sum up the letter like that. Paul is 
calling Timothy to endure. And much of the language is around that. He speaks to him of, uh, of being a soldier. He speaks to him of discharging his ministry, that there are responsibilities that lie upon his shoulders. They need to be discharged. And there's so much other language that is, is designed to encourage the man and strengthen him and help him to endure. It's striking at the end of chapter 1 that Paul mentions uh, two men, two individuals, probably contemporaries of, of Timothy, probably a similar age. And they had made shipwreck. They'd started well, but they'd gone off course. And that's the reality, isn't it, um, of, of Christian service, is that there's a, there's a possibility of shipwreck. And I'm sure all of us know uh, fellow believers who we've been close to and we've served alongside, and today they're not serving the Lord. And it's striking that, um, that Timothy knew that as well. There's a value about Christian endurance. It can't be assumed. It must be sought after. And that is what Paul is writing about in, in the letter. But when we think about uh, Christian endurance, we need to think about the, the quality of that endurance as well as its value. Um, now, it involves, it involves resilience. And as you read through the letter, on a very basic level, Timothy many times is being called upon to dig deep and to press forward, to demonstrate resolve and conviction. That's evident in the language um, about warring a good warfare. And there's many other examples that you can think of throughout the book. Um, and as you go into 2 Timothy as well, you get more examples again uh, about athletic training is another image that's used. And, and all of it conveys the idea of determination, effort, and resolve. And the Christian life requires that. It will require grit. It will require determination. It will require you to, to go against the flow and to, to stand when others capitulate. It requires that resilience. But it's much more than just resilience. And there's a danger that if we, that if we just rely upon our reserves of, uh, of grit, well, either one day we'll, we'll run out of grit or else we'll become quite hard and we'll become quite cynical and we'll become self-reliant. And that's not really what Paul has in view when he speaks of uh, Christian endurance. What he speaks of here is something which is, is much richer. In many ways, he holds himself up as an example of Christian endurance. And it's a picture in, in the book of somebody who's not just gritting their teeth and holding on by their fingernails and just really begrudging every moment but just holding on because it's just the right thing to do. He's a man who is counting it a privilege to serve Christ all the way to the very end. 
And you come to the end of the second letter and you've got a man in prison expecting execution. And yet he is just full of a sense of privilege that he has been enabled to serve God and Christ in this way. And there's a joy and there's a peace and there's a contentment which is born of spiritual endurance. And that really is what Paul is seeking to engender within this young man, Timothy. And that's what we ought to aspire to as well. The Old Testament puts it like this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, who stands not in the way of sinners, who sits not in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree. There's the picture of endurance. Planted by rivers of living water, bringing forth his fruit in his season, his leaf shall not wither, whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so. They're like the chaff that the wind drives, that drives away. Therefore the ungodly will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, but the righteous Lord knows the way of the righteous to establish it. But the way of the ungodly shall perish. That's the picture of Christian endurance in the Old Testament. An endurance which uh, comes from relationship with God and dependence upon God and being established ultimately by God. That pattern of life is vindicated on the day of judgment as having lasting value, unlike the wasted endeavors of the wicked which will just be burned up. That is what we ought to be striving for. Now, Christian endurance um, rests upon something. And uh, in 1 Timothy, it's very clear that it rests upon the gospel. And it comes from a right understanding of the gospel. There's a contrast throughout between the law, which is being misused by the false teachers, they're seeking to add it to the gospel. Uh, there's a contrast between that and the gospel. And they're altogether different in their effects and in their power. And you see that in the life of Paul. Here was a man who poured everything into law keeping. And yet he was unable to live up to the standard involved he found it only condemned him. But yet in the gospel, he found liberty and he found purpose and he found the ability to endure in the ministry that God had given. And you see that loom, live, loom large in the testimony of Paul. But as we think about the subject of, of endurance, we have to think about how we're going to endure how we're going to endure. Um, I must confess that uh, verse 16, um, in the past I have, I have misread, and I've read it a little bit like this, that 
I have been saved, or Paul saying, I have been saved so that I might be an example of patience to other people. And, and I suppose you could say that's true. Um, that, that you should be an example of patience and of a different character to those around you. And that's one of the reasons God has saved you. But that's not what the verse is saying at all. And that's not where we begin uh, when we think about this subject of, of Christian endurance. We begin, first of all, with the endurance of God. And that is what the verse is speaking about. The endurance specifically of Jesus Christ. Paul is, is teaching us that it begins with that fact of the endurance of Christ. And he's going to go on in verse 18 to call Timothy to endure in the ministry that he's been given. But he goes back to his own experience first of all. And he speaks about the endurance of Christ and what it means to him. And that's where we have to begin as well. We have to begin with a recognition that God is eternally committed to his purposes. He knows you to make it personal. He knew every decision you would make every sin you would commit. He knew it all beforehand. And yet, in his purposes, he sent his son to save you. And he brought about your salvation. And he led you to this point. And he has a purpose for you, which he will fulfill. And we need to begin there with, with that recognition that, that God has dealt graciously with us, that we are in his purposes. And scripture is clear, he is committed to us. Listen to the words of the book of Romans. If when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Romans 8 whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. I can't give up, firstly, because God will not give up on me. And that's where Paul begins. With a recognition that, that this was demonstrated in his own life. Jesus Christ has demonstrated all long-suffering for an example to others. God's plan is specific. We see that in Paul. Um, God had a particular purpose for him. And despite Paul's unwillingness and despite his rebellion, God intervened. Paul was resisting. But yet God intervened in his sovereign purposes, turned the man around and opened his eyes. Well, blinded him first of all, but spiritually opened his eyes to see. And that's an example to others. Now, we're not all, we're not called to be the apostle to the Gentiles. We don't have the same ministry as Paul, but the principle holds true that God's plans and God's purposes are specific for you. And you should get a hold of that. It'll free you from wanting 
someone else's ministry or someone else's role. Because God in his wisdom has made you and has saved you and brought you to this point for a specific purpose. Find out what it is. Pray about it. Because God's purposes and plans are specific. Now, all the details um, we might not understand. And, uh, you know, it can be difficult sometimes uh, whenever there are burdens that we have to bear or things that we have to do that we'd rather not. And you see that in in the life of uh, Paul as well. I'm sure that he would rather not have been in prison. I'm sure that he would rather not have been shipwrecked and beaten up and all of these other things. He, he had a thorn in the flesh that he, he asked the Lord to remove and the answer was no. There's many other examples of that that you can look to um, in scripture. Job was another example. You look at the specific circumstances that he had to live through and, and how difficult it must have been for him to understand specifically why this Lord And, you know, those details, we can't really expect to know why now. But the Bible does tell us that one day God's wise purposes will be revealed. But not only does, does God have a plan which is specific, and not only will one day all the details of it be made clear, but he has power available to bring it about. And you see that in uh, the, the life of, of Paul. You see it in his conversion, that here was a man dramatically turned around. The power of God was evident. The light shone. The voice was heard. It, it, the, this, this man who was, was a menace to the Christians, a terrorist really, uh, was stopped in his tracks. And it demonstrates God's power. But, but not only then, uh, throughout the man's life, power and ability was given to me. He says that I was enabled and he received help. Um, and again, that's, that's critical for us to remember that, that God doesn't simply have vague intentions for us, but he has the resources necessary for us to carry it out. And all of this, I think, is, is really important because when it comes to the matter of, of Christian endurance, there's a, there's a natural tendency for me to rely upon myself. To prove myself, to prove how strong and devoted I am, how resilient I am. And uh, I would say, especially men, there's a, there's a temptation and a desire to prove that. Um, there can be a bit of a bravado about it sometimes. But we need to to continually come back to the, the fact that we rest upon, upon our God, our God who is committed to us, who is working for our good. And when we come back to that truth and that fact, the result, I want to say, is worship, first of all. And that's why... Whenever you read the, the, the text, um, Paul goes straight from verses 15 and 16 into verse 17, which is really an accolade of worship. Unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. 
Amen. Here was a man who uh, had, a, had a fresh appreciation of what God had done for him and how God was committed to him. And it leads into worship. And so it should for all of us. But secondly, um, we have to understand that God is committed to us. But secondly, we need to understand that it's a privilege to serve him and to be in his purposes. Now, I think in that we need to have an honest assessment every now and again because it's all too easy to lose our sense of privilege. In 2 Timothy, there was a, a young man who was serving alongside Timothy. And uh, we read of him that he left because he loved the world. He'd lost his sense of privilege at serving Christ, shoulder to shoulder with Paul. And he'd gone off to the world. And that's really sad, but it happens. Um, Alexander and Hymenaeus, perhaps, similarly were victims of that. You go back into the Old Testament again and you read Psalm 73 and you've got a really striking example of, of just that issue in this man, Asaph, who uh, was one of the temple musicians. He'd served for, for many, many years in the temple. He'd been involved in the worship of God and the service of God all his life. And as an older man, you read Psalm 73 and he is jaded. He has lost his sense of privilege and appreciation at serving God. And he is just asking, what is the point? He's looking around him at the wicked who are seeming to prosper. And he's just asking himself, have I wasted my life? There's a loss of a sense of privilege. And if you read through Psalm 73, you find that, that he goes into the presence of God. He prays. And his perspective is restored. And he realizes how foolish he'd been. We all need that. Um, we need our perspective to be restored at times. And as you read, um, as you read through 1 Timothy, you know, again, Paul is holding himself up as an example to Timothy throughout this letter. And he has a keen sense of, of privilege at all that God has done for him. He's remembering that, that God has changed him. Verse 15, he speaks of himself as being the chief of sinners. Now, is that actually saying that Paul thinks he was the worst sinner that has ever lived? I'm not sure it does. I think it speaks much more to his perspective. That his own sin just loomed so large and so great in his mind. That he could think of nothing else. And in that, it's, it's a good principle for all of us that we should have a, 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 a deep understanding of our sin. And even if it is that we were saved when we were relatively young, before that sinful nature had a, an opportunity to work itself out, we should understand the trajectory that we were on and the wreckage that we were headed for, which God in his grace has rescued us from. Contrasting with that sinfulness, uh, Paul recognizes that, that, that through the gospel, 
Christ has set him apart. Look at the language of verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Um, It's sanctified language that he's been made fit to serve. He was the chief of sinners, but he has been made fit to serve uh, in a spiritual way. Not only that, but he was, he was once weak, but now he's been enabled. You remember um, that Paul uh, was a man who sought to live by the law and found he was unable to do so. There's a contrast here in verse 12 that he's been enabled through Christ to serve as a Christian. So there's this remarkable change that had taken place for Paul and he was fresh in his appreciation of it. He also recognizes not only the change that has taken place, but but he recognizes that God's plans were better than his And again, that's a principle that we can take away. As he speaks about, um, as he speaks about the life and ministry that he's been called to, there's a confidence about it, which is striking. God has called him into a ministry which is full of potential. Potential for success and for glory. And that's something that's important to to recognize um, as as believers. Now, um, we have to be humble. And the the scripture tells us not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, of course. But do we really grasp the glory and the potential of, of the ministry into which God has called us. You know, we, we have been enabled to deal with things which are spiritual and which are eternal. They're massive. Okay, and God has given you a ministry to do which has eternal significance. You know, that's bigger and more important than any of the things that the world lays emphasis on. And we need to grasp that. Paul did. He woke up every day with a sense of purpose, gripped by the weight and the importance of that which God had given him to do. Don't lose that as a Christian. We deal with things, we handle things which are of eternal value. As you encourage brothers or sisters, you could be strengthening them and helping them towards an eternal prize. As you bring the gospel, you could be instrumental in the salvation of an individual who may then go on to serve in in all sorts of ways. There's great value in all of these things. And there's a wonderful possibility. You know, it's in striking contrast with, with Paul's life before he was saved because he was absolutely onto a loser. He was seeking 
with all his efforts to keep a law that was just impossible to keep. And no matter how hard he tried, he just, he just couldn't do it because it wasn't designed to be kept. It was designed to, to show people their sin. And in contrast with that wretched existence, God had brought him into something so much better. And there's a wonderful confidence about it. Not only that, but there's a contentment. You, you get that sense uh, throughout the book that here is a man content with the lot that God has given him. And some of his closing words in chapter 6 are all about contentment. And uh, whenever he speaks of contentment, it's not the idea that you just suck up things that you don't like and uh, you just sort of learn to live with them. That's not the idea of contentment at all. The idea of contentment is of being focused on that which I do have, appreciating its value and being satisfied with it. And for Paul, he... He, he, he understood what he had received in Christ and was satisfied with it. And therefore, even things like being in prison um, didn't affect them nearly as much as you would think it would. So Paul appreciated his privilege. And, and the result of that is, um, is energy and service. And that really, I think, is, is verse 18. So after worship in verse 17, he gives Timothy a charge. And it's based on uh, the testimony that he's, he's given in the earlier verses. He's, uh, he's then making application to Timothy. And he says, war a good warfare. There are prophecies that went on Timothy. So, so God had, had revealed uh, some of his purposes for Timothy. This all of what we've been saying wasn't just true of Paul, it was true also of Timothy. And Paul's speaking of himself in order to apply it to Timothy. But he says, war a good warfare. Bring energy to your service because there's a race to be run, there's a fight to be fought, there's a prize to be grasped. And if we appreciate the privilege of serving Christ, then we will respond in that way. There's something else just to, to draw your attention to as we think about Christian uh, resilience and as we think of, of some of the themes of, of 1 Timothy. Something else that we need if we are going to endure in the Christian life, not just an understanding that God is committed to us, uh, not just that it's, a set, that, that it's a great privilege to serve uh, Christ, but we also need to experience genuine fellowship. We need one another. And we see this in Paul's ministry to Timothy. Um, there's this father-son relationship really throughout the letter. Paul is sharing counsel. He's sharing his own life as an example to Timothy. And... In that, he was going to be an example to Timothy of how to live and to serve right the way through until he was executed by Rome. Now, here's a young man who could have stumbled. 
you read through the letter and uh, it's clear that, that there were some in, in the local church that, that thought very little of him and, uh, and dismissed his efforts. Um, he must have been discouraged. It seems that, that in, his, in his disposition he was deeply affected by that. He was facing false teachers and their attacks. It's very possible that he could have been overwhelmed, exhausted, frustrated. But, but Paul, as an older brother, took it upon him to strengthen this young man. And just thinking about the, 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 the value of that, um, I think is is very important and it just it tells us a little bit about how essential fellowship is god has designed the the local church so that it functions in this way uh, none of us live the christian life on our own we are members one of another and that's a uh, that's a a phrase which which just illustrates how we're, we're joined together we're part of one whole and we, we function in, in that way. It's interesting that, that in 2 Timothy, when Paul is facing perhaps his greatest trial as he awaited execution uh, at the hands of the Roman authorities, he asks Timothy to come. Uh, he wants the, the fellowship of this younger brother. He wants to be strengthened by him. And it, again, just underlines the value of that fellowship uh, and how much we need it. Now, real meaningful fellowship requires openness. And as you read through the letter, Paul really is, um, is opening his life. He speaks very much about himself and about his own experiences he gives his testimony he shares his difficulties um, talks about his perspective and uh, that's essential um, he uses that in order to encourage and strengthen and help this younger man and just it's it's a very simple uh, challenge uh, but one I think that we need that we should talk about, um, we should talk about the deeper things of of the Christian life with each other. It's far too easy just to, to talk about superficial things, isn't it? Um, I had a just the other the other Sunday. I had um, a twenty minute conversation with with um, a brother about sheds. Um, which is fine. You can talk about sheds. There's nothing wrong with that. But um, he very suddenly brought it round to. Um, to something spiritual that he'd been reading. And, and I just thought, you know what, I just stayed talking about sheds all day. And, and we have that tendency, don't we? Um, because it's easy to talk about things that are, that are kind of a bit superficial. It can be harder. You need to be a bit more deliberate about it um, to, to really uh, meaningfully open up with brothers and sisters about the the big things of Christian life and experience, but it's important. And it's the way in which we strengthen and help one another. Fellowship also requires frankness. And 
you see that in uh, in First Timothy, Paul writes to affirm Timothy, and you know that that's okay as well. Uh, we do need affirmation uh, in in the Christian life, and we'll not get it in the world. So it's good to get a bit of of affirmation in the local church and to be strengthened uh, in in what we're doing. But there also needs to be admonition. There needs to be warning. There needs to be caution and. And First Timothy is, is full of that. Now, it's done in, in love, and it's done gently and carefully. But uh, we ought to be, as, as a local church, uh, a, a community of believers who are able to admonish one another. Paul speaks of the, the, the Roman Christians in that way, and it's a, it's a beautiful description in uh, Romans 15 of how a local church ought to function. He says, I... I'm persuaded of you, my brethren, that you are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. If, I, if we genuinely care about one another, if we're having uh, genuine fellowship with one another, we ought to be open and frank and able to admonish each other. Experience ought to be valued in the local church. Again, First uh, Timothy chapter 5 uh, speaks of, of the local church as being a family. And uh, there's the, the sharing of experience uh, between uh, those who are older and those who are younger. And it's, I think, a challenge to all of us. Uh, and it's necessary if we're going to endure in the, the Christian life. Just as we finish up then, endurance is something that we cannot assume. Many start the, uh, the path of Christian service, but not all finish. There's trials, there's temptations, there's attacks which we will face. Uh, they'll be different uh, for each one here, uh, but all of them represent a risk. It's possible to fall suddenly. More commonly, though, it's, it's possible to gradually fall. Uh, to gradually decline and then find ourselves uh, at a point where we are at risk. May God give us help to be strengthened and to strengthen one another. What we've learned from, uh, from 1 Timothy is that there is a prize to be won. James puts it like this. Uh, we count them happy which endure. You've heard of the patience or the endurance of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. We see that um, example in Job. Job is a man who was, was called to endure great hardship. And yet in the end, uh, the blessing uh, of Job, um, the blessing of Job um, is underlined for us in, in James chapter 5. And therefore, when you come to the end of, of, uh, of 1 Timothy, that's really the way uh, that Paul ends the book. That's his, his closing words, his closing reminders to Timothy. He's... Um, encouraging him to 
uh, remember who he is, that he is, he's a man of God, uh, that he has a, a purpose uh, to, to fulfill. And there's some very direct instructions that he gives uh, to Timothy in chapter 6. He says, uh, fight the good. He says, first of all, flee, flee these things. Uh, so get away from temptation. There are things that, that can destroy you, can take you off track in the Christian life. And uh, we need to, to deal seriously with that and get away from it. Uh, he says, follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. These are things that are to be pursued um, and done actively. You know, it's possible just to, 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 to sort of have vague intentions in the Christian life, but are we really actively pursuing that which is good? He speaks of, of how we're to fight the good fight of faith. Uh, again, there's, there's enemies uh, that are to be confronted and uh, there's, a, there's a prize that's to be sought. And then he says, lay hold on eternal life. Whereunto you are called and have professed a good profession amongst many witnesses. And it comes back to this fact that there is a, there is a prize uh, to be laid hold of. If you speak to those um, who have lived for God, uh, they'll tell you that there's no other way to live. And externally, they might have experienced great hardship and loss, perhaps even for the sake of Christ. Uh, but they will tell you that, that both in life um, and beyond life, it's the only way to live uh, which has lasting significance and value. So it's a simple challenge, um, but hopefully one that will uh, stir us and, and help us as we seek to live um, and follow the, the example that, that Paul sets out for, for Timothy, but also for you and I. Let's close in prayer. Father, we bow in your presence tonight and uh, we give thanks for the good word of God. We're thankful that it is uh, applicable to us in every age and generation, every uh, individual circumstance that we find ourselves in. Uh, we're so thankful for uh, the example of, of men like Timothy that we can identify with, uh, men who, who felt difficulty, who felt discouragement, um, and yet they uh, knew the, 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 the blessing and encouragement of, uh, of, of older saints who were able to direct them and strengthen them in the truth. And we just pray, Father, that uh, the local church here at Fernalee might function in that way, uh, that we might have a, a care for one another and uh, might seek to strengthen one another. And we just pray uh, for uh, help to endure uh, until the day that, that the Lord comes or that we're called home. Uh, help us to uh, remember again uh, all that our God has done for us. Help us to remember the, the, the plan and purposes of God for us. And help us to, to keep a keen sense of, of what a privilege it is uh, to know and to serve our God. And so, Father, we pray for a blessing upon all your people. We pray especially for those uh, who are under attack uh, and those who face particular discouragement. We pray that they 
might be especially strengthened and know the grace of God in these difficult times. So, Father, we ask for a blessing upon your word and upon your people and pray for help in the week ahead. We know not what we will face, uh, but we pray that we might be equipped for it uh, and help us to, to serve and to witness well, we pray in the Saviour's name.